And welcome, fellow lovers of love, on another excursion down a stream of consciousness towards the river of love and on towards the lake of peace. I like it. Uh, just keeping them shorter, I think, is what I'm, my plan is. Okay, so today we've got an interesting thing. Got have a conversation about you know beginnings of relationships. A friend of ours who we talked about on the show before has actually found himself a, a relationship. And, I'm so thrilled. And so we'll talk about, there's some things to talk about in that, not specifically about him, about relationships in general. So it's just yes, he's the one yes, that, yes. as lots of times, he spurs a thought, and then the thought goes off to something, and the thought's not directly related to poor, to, to him. So that's kind of what we're going to start. Then we've got a grab bag. We've got a bunch of questions that I kind of scoured and... We'll stare. We'll do some chatting about those. In an article? No. There's no article. They're just questions. I told you. They were just questions. Gross symptoms of depression. That's an we article if we happen to get to it. That's at the end. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And it's there's a bunch of questions. And so we'll talk about that. So at the beginning, you know, it's an interesting. Uh, he's a young man, mid-20s. And... Success in your mid-twenties is a strange thing. You know, how, what you've done, what you accomplished. It, it, you expect more of yourself, some people, than than is realistic. Uh, this is a young man who's run for office. He's been promoted at his job. He's So, you know, at 24, 25, you know, he's done a lot. And so he's got a lot to offer for it. Now, apparently in the past, you know, it's, we all wear that hands. When, you know, at 24, when I was younger, I wasn't the best, you know, relationship person. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the line of humanity, dude. You're at the back of the line. It's just, it's just, that's like everybody, you know. But you don't know that. You just know back, you look back and you say, man, I wish I was a better person back then. And... You know, he takes it to heart and takes it maybe a little harsh. And so when he's, he's talking about, you know, how it happens when you get the young love and the puppy love or whatever you want to call it, the smitten, the, the new rush of emotion. And you sing like, Oh, I don't deserve this person. I don't deserve her. I don't deserve to have be this lucky. Now there's two ways that that can be interpreted. One, it can be the euphemism of love. Right, where you're just kind of bubbling over, and it's not that you actually think that you don't deserve that person. You're just feeling so rose-colory glasses with that other person at the moment that you kind of you can't have a rational discussion because it's just, <laughs> you know there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. Everybody does it. But the the other side is that there are times when people do feel that they're not deserving. And that's dangerous because it sets up a strange power dynamic in the relationship that the other person may not know exists. And if someone has a habit of not feeling that they are as important as they are, that they're overly flawed, and you find this person that you've got the rose-colored glasses on and you see them as the most perfect human being ever, and you are just this low-life thing out of the gutter that, that they've picked up, 
out of their blessed well, angel. Well, yeah, that is dangerous. But but it's dangerous because we don't. It's hard to know the difference. It can be hard to know the difference. There's Between some gray, those two. There's oh, some, okay, okay. There's some gray area there. Yeah. There's there's a lot of gray area in there where, you know, we're all damaged human beings, and especially when you're young and you overpersonalize the problems of early relationships. Because we all have trouble with early relationships. Every single person does. Just the whole, you know, when you're young, you don't know what you're doing. And sadly, we're humans. We learn by our mistakes. And so it's very easy for somebody who doesn't feel good about themselves, who doesn't feel that they were their best selves in previous relationships, to feel like someone has essentially plucked them, like an angel's plucked them out of the out of the gutter and stuck them up. Well, I feel blessed every day, but I don't feel that you pluck me out of the gutter. Mm-hmm. I, well, I'm being a little euphemistic myself, but you know, but the point is it's very easy to, to do that. We see it all the time. That's how people get stuck in relationships. They don't feel they're worthy. I'm not, it's okay that they treat me like crap. I'm not worth more. And so it creates a, mindset and i'm not saying he's there that's you know i actually don't think so but it did make me think about that there are people who i have known in my life who do that who have done that who've gotten yeah me too they'll take whatever human being they can take because they don't feel they're enough and if they're lucky they get in they get with somebody who is kind and compassionate and actually cares for them but those are the people who end up with predators. And it's a dangerous thing. You know, and this is um, Mental Health Awareness Month, I believe. I don't pay a lot of attention to these months. Oh, gosh. I, I, I don't know. I think so. You know, but for us, mental health awareness is every day, so we don't really have to pay attention to the month. To the month, really. Yeah. And so, but it's all tied to that. You know, damaged human beings can see the world from a skewed perspective. They can think they're more broken than they are. They can think their behavior, their past mistakes were more fundamental when they are, rather than the fact that you've learned on them, you've used them as mistakes, you've moved on, you've become the better person you want to be because you've actually examined yourself and you say, I don't like that version of myself. I want to be something different. And that's the whole point. I mean, good Lord, who wants to go back and be judged by their worst moments in their worst parts of the relationship? Not me. Good God. I mean, even the best human beings in the world, at the worst part of their worst moments of their of their long term, they're not going to be pretty. No, they're just not. And you hope as you get older, you become better at it, so they're less ugly. But but they're never going to be pretty. <laughs> it's just not how it happens. But when you're young, you don't have the experience to balance it out. That's so it's so hard to be young. And then today it's hard. In a sense, 
it's easier today because you have more people to listen to. You have other people. It's easier to find people to talk to and to relate to. But at the same time, you see everybody who looks like they're doing fine, but they're really not. Half the people out there are struggling. I think you're being generous. Well, it's been a rough year. Yeah, but uh, you know, some relationships have gotten stronger. Some relationships have gotten weaker. Some have ended. But, you know, those chances are those are going to happen anyway. Maybe it accelerated an issue. Maybe it accelerated, you know, a connection that was going to recome, going to rekindle anyway. Because they obviously cared. It may have exposed something fundamental. It may have blown away some dust that was covering flaws. But they were already there. They can only be ignored so long. We know that. You can ignore flaws for a while. Because your long-term relationships are long-term. We, we'll get to it. We've got another disaster to deal with. We've got to, you know, there's other things to deal with. <laughs> eh. <laughs> It'll hold. But it can only things can only hold for so long. So, so that's just how the the world is working. It's it's a you know it's a tough world out there, and these young people finding relationships these days with their whole lives billboarded, essentially. You know they live their lives in the open, which in one hand is good. It's it's good to live your life open. It's freeing. But in today's culture, it's also scary. Why? Well, what was perfectly fine to say five years ago may not be perfectly fine to say now. Uh. And you'll be held accountable for that change, even if you've evolved with the rest of the world. If they want you to. So it's a scary time. Now, I've actually seen signs that it's turning around, so I don't want to be... I'm actually hopeful. I'm actually hopeful that we've actually passed the darkest days and, you know, dawn is on the way. And it's not got nothing to do with politics. It's got to do with more and more people are having conversations like me and you want to have. We're just, you know, we're tired of the negativity. We're going to put love into the world, whether it... (laughs) Whether they want it or not. (laughs) And I think that's kind of, I think there's a growing sense to that. There's a growing sense that we're taking that back. Okay, so, which questions? You got that list of questions over there, Levy. Which ones do you want to start with today? Well, uh, I like the first one to start. Right. My mother-in-law takes my baby out of my arms without asking my permission. She also passes my baby around to people uh, to other people without my permission. How do I put a stop to this behavior without hurting her feelings? Well, unfortunately, the only way this is going to be cleared up is with a frank discussion. Yeah, you're not getting out of this one without hurting feelings. Now, one of the things you need to do is, before you have the discussion, is try to understand if this is, it might be a cultural or family thing. It's the way that family has been. That doesn't mean you don't have the right to change it because this is your baby. This is your child. But understanding where that's coming from. 
makes the conversation go easier. Like, because you can come, look, I understand that this is a family tradition, that this is just how you, everybody has been, but it's coming in conflict with mine. Yes. And you, and it's your mother-in-law. You're going to have to get your husband on board. Doesn't necessarily have to do it. He doesn't have to say anything, but so when you go and talk to them, you can say, look, me and, me and Frank think this. It doesn't have to actually be part of the conversation. He just has to, you have to know that he's behind you and you can say, we. We, yes. Yeah. Because we is a stronger thing than I when it comes to dealing with mother-in-laws. <laughs> you need the we. Because if she means she's, she doesn't want to hurt her feelings. It didn't sound, the question doesn't sound like she's doing it like, intentionally to irritate you. It's just like the way she is. Yes. And so you find out, okay, is this just a family tradition? Is this just how the family was? Is this how her mother was? And, and, and so, okay, but times have changed. Our traditions are changing. Yeah. Well, she sounds like an over-exuberant grandma. I have been an over-exuberant <laughs> grandma myself. And, but I've caught myself. Yeah. I've caught myself. And, and understand. And luckily I have children who understand and they've been they've been uh they uh give me a pass you know sometimes yeah well you know and that's it sometimes it's there's going to be a balance because grandmas get some privileges and you're just going to have to figure out which privileges grandma gets you're going to have to kind of figure that one out because grandmas get privileged as long as they're you know not a butthead so grandmas get grandma's privileges you just do. I do. It's just the way the world works. You know, unless they're, you know, not worthy, so we say, grandmas get grandma's privileges. That's, you know, now those privileges only extend so far, but we get to figure out which privileges those are. You know, we get grandma time or grandpa time. Yes. Yeah. Now, grandpa time happens older when they're older, not when they're infants, but... You start pulling quarters out their ears and things like that. Quarters out their ears. <laughs> well, that's what they do. <laughs> start yanking quarters out of people's ears. Okay, so, so but so so you're just gonna have to have the frank discussion. So how do you have that frank discussion? You need to have the we. Yes. Because you have to have that discussion where it's we. And not right in the middle of it. That's a that's a conversation that uh, has to be done in private, not in the middle of passing the baby. Yeah, that's something maybe when you're, I don't know. There's some time, you know, maybe it's people have some people have coffee with their mother-in-laws or something. Invite her out for coffee. Or if there's a quiet time at a picnic or a family picnic or something, you're going to have to choose your time. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to be combative. So it's clearly she doesn't want to be combative. She doesn't want to. She's not saying she doesn't like the. She just kind of. Can you ask me first? And that's kind of a family thing. And if, you, know, you have every right to set your family traditions. Okay. We're moving on. What you got next? It's your turn to pick. Um, all right, let's do this one. Why do 12-year-olds act like they are adults in the way they dress, the way they talk, and almost everything they do? What are your thoughts on that? 
my thoughts. Do I ask the question? They're just trying to behave like an adult. They want to be an adult. That's their that's their whole get up. That's their whole frame of mind. They they're not they're twelve. They're not babies anymore. They're on you know. They're starting to get hormones running through their little bodies. You know, they're, they want to be teenagers, hopefully, but they want to be in adult company and be accepted in adult company. It's, I think it's part of our, our makeup. Well, I think it's childhood is for practice. And in a sense, they're practicing being adult before they, but, They've been so, you know, at 12, you're just now at 12 getting under the thing. You know, you're at the stage where you get to start buying your own clothes, but you don't have your own style yet because your mom has been buying your clothes for, for your whole life, especially boys. But, but, you know, this really, girls don't get their own style until they're 13, 14 years old. They get their style from whatever their mom likes, whatever their mom buys them. And so, in a sense, that first stage of trying to figure out your style is trying out what the adults are wearing. You try that stuff on. It's, it's literally it's costume. They're trying it on. They're trying it out. They're gonna figure out what they do like, what they don't like. Uh, and on occasion, you get one. That's why you get those, you know, those 13, 14 year old boys who still wear the suit. They like wearing the dang suit. They like putting that thing on. It makes them feel good. So they keep wearing it. <laughs> you know, most boys get this crap off of me. Put me some shorts and t-shirt. But, you know, it's not universal. And the same thing with girls. Girls find their style. Some girls, uh, in a sense, I was always jealous because girls get so much more interesting clothes. Not that I ever wanted to wear them, but it was was just, man, you all get, you can wear pants or skirts or dresses and 15,000 different kinds of things and all kinds of goofy accessories. And we get shorts and shirt. That's what you get. (laughs) That's what we get. Well, are you going to buy any other stuff? Well, no, but <laughs> I don't want to wear it. But, you know, the fact that you all get this wide variety. And we get, But we get pockets, so I guess there's that. And <laughs> I remember as a teenage girl stressing over what I was going to wear. Yeah, no. But we get pockets. Functional pockets. Apparently, you all don't get functional pockets. No. <laughs> well, you guys don't need functional Sometimes. pockets. We have purses. Yes, yeah, so you carry a big bag around you. And every time they make tight pants with functional pockets for women, you all don't buy them because they have the lines and they look ugly. They do. Yeah, they do. Because you all want them tight with functional pockets. You don't work. You, y'all are not understanding my yoga, how pants are. My yoga pants do. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yoga pants have pockets. That's kind of counterproductive. I wear yoga pants all the time. What do you put in yoga pants for pockets? For my Kleenex, (sighs) my mask. Y'all are killing me. So kids act the way they do. Now, the way they talk and act is they're trying to communicate with their kids. You don't understand them because they're not communicating with you. They're communicating with other 12-year-olds. They've got their own language figured out. And just feel old because you did too at 12. So 
<laughs> yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. This yeah. has been going on for a long time. Yeah. The way kids talk at 12. Well, well one, they're, they're learning language, learning how to communicate, and they're trying to, to, to do it with, in their own style because every generation does. They're not, they're all, put their own spin on it because old people are old people. Boring. And you don't want to be like the old people tell you to be. So you try to find some new way to, to, to say things. And it's, it's the way the world, world, world goes around. So kids that are, they're just being normal kids. You know, don't worry about it until it, unless it starts to get off the rails. You know, they're just trying out at 12, 13, 14. They're just trying stuff out. They're literally just trying things out. Let them find what they're looking for. They can't find it if they don't allow to try. Yeah, you gotta take, try it on. Yeah. Keep what you like and leave the rest. Yeah. And child is for practice. They're practicing. Practicing. Yeah, that's the bottom line. They're practicing. Let them practice. And you keep them safe. Let them practice in a safe way. It's, you know. It's, that's what we've got to do. Make the world safer than to practice in. Not make practice safe. That's that's a whole different discussion. Maybe we'll do that next week. All right. Which which one do you want now? I'm a single mother who is struggling financially due to COVID. Should I charge my 18 year old daughter rent? Yeah. Well, does she have? Well, you can does charge her. Does she have rent. a job? I mean, <laughs> she can charge her all you want. Can she pay it? I mean, and, and what's your end game if she can't pay it? You kicking her out? And so, all right. Now, now, theoretically, if you guys are really actually struggling, and as a single mother, we're going to assume you really are, then yes, you should help if you can. But charging rent. I've always been that the personal view is that at 18, you should be helping them get out on their own and they're not going to help get out on their own. If you have to take a huge chunk of their money that should be saved on saving up for a deposit and some cushion and first last month's rent, all that kind of stuff. If they're giving it to you. Yeah. Now the roof has to be, you know, lights need to bills need to be paid and the roof has to stay on and all that. So there's some realities mixed in there and then there's something you have to be careful about being taken advantage of rather than being used but that's those things are easy to notice if their savings account is getting bigger then you know they're doing they're doing what you want them to do it's really that simple and so i guess the question is you know what's your longer goal are you struggling where you actually need her to chip in? Then you, yeah, ask her to chip in. Sure. Got no problem with it. Especially if she has some money to chip in. And even if not, chipping in a little bit. Hey, look, you use the damn internet a lot. Pay the internet bill. You know, things like that. Take some. Some, some responsibility. Hey, yeah. start buying your own dang food. I ain't, I ain't cooking dinner for you anymore. You're an adult. <laughs> you know, things that there are some things where you can make some adjustments. 
without having to go to the point where you're charging rent and it becomes this big thing where you're getting your chance to be flexible. I think maybe if there's some one thing you want to talk about is, you know, be flexible. You want to figure out how to be flexible. You know, if, and jobs are easy to get, especially if you're young right now. They won't pay well, but they're easy to get. If you're young, yeah, well, unskilled labor is needed. What we call unskilled labor. Unskilled labor doesn't mean it's not required skills. It just means you haven't need technical special training. It's not actually means you're. Uh, I had this <laughs> irritated. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I forget who it was, and they were complaining about the term unskilled labor, about how it's dehumanizing. No, it just means you haven't needed some technical training, some specific, some specific technical training. Before you start the position. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean you're not a skilled human being with skills and abilities. It just, it's, it's, you know, it's it, the football players in the NFL and whatnot. They have skilled versus unskilled positions. It's not like the, the, you know, the linemen you call unskilled positions. It doesn't mean they don't have skills. It's just they don't have special skills like the ability to catch. <laughs> you know, but guess what? Them receivers can't block. Well, not block the guys. Those guys are blocking. And so everybody has their set of skills. It's just it's a way to differentiate differentiate between skills that require highly technical training and skills that can be taught essentially on the job. You know, I can teach someone how to wash dishes. You can teach someone how to be a short order cook on the job. May not be good for the first week, but you can teach them how to do it on the job. But you can't teach someone how to be an electrical engineer on the job. No. You can teach someone how to be an electrician on the job. You know, you can apprentice and a journeyman and you can go through the process. But you know, no one wants an apprentice electrician to be the one wiring the house. They want that journeyman watching over him, checking his work for a reason. You know, one mistake. You can't have a mistake. It's dangerous. And yet there's, there's a difference between unskilled and skilled. It's skilled labor mistakes are more dangerous than unskilled. Maybe. But it doesn't, it's not a value. It's not a value judgment on your human being or even the value of the task. Some unskilled labor might be more valuable than some skilled labor. It's just a diversion. Like, you know, a truck driver is technically an unskilled labor. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. You try to back that. So, you know, go get someone in the office. Hey, can you back that truck into the dock? <laughs> That's some mad skills right there. Yeah, those guys. Alright, so, you know, let's be careful with how we use terminologies and, and back and forth. It's, it's, uh, but, but back to the actual, the original question of should you charge your daughter rent, right? That was the one we were on. Yes. Yeah, I forgot which question we were on for a minute. We got way off on a tangent that had nothing to do with the original question. <laughs> it, it's, it depends. It depends on your ultimate goal, and it depends on your genuine financial situation. 
if you need them to pay you some money so you can have the lights on and have a roof over your head, then you need them to pay you some money to have the lights on and the roof over your head. There's practicality. But if your goal is to be able to get them and send them off into the world in the best shape possible, then you want to be careful how much you take. Yes. You want to make sure they have enough money to be able to be saving. And they're not going to be perfect saving their money. They're 18. They're not going to be perfect saving their money. They're not going to make great choices that you think they should make. But as long as, generically speaking, they're saving more money than they're spending, they're going the right direction. Because you want them to be more successful than you are in life. And that part of that means they start out with a better foundation. And you can help. So that's kind of my theory. But it all goes depends on if it's available, if you can. If you can't, you can't. You know, there's realities of life is the realities of life. You know, we know that as well as anybody. All right, so we are going to take our short break. We'll be back here in a few minutes. And we are back for the second half of this journey. Bit of a bumpy rap is there at the end of the end of the thing as I went off off of some boulders and bounced around on to some subjects that we had no plan to cover. That was kind of fun. But I was actually thinking as we were sitting here getting ready to do the second half of the show, I was thinking about the original topic, and it occurred to me that you know not only is this a new relationship for our young friend, it's a long distance relationship. Oh, you didn't tell me that little tidbit. Well, what am I, Mr. Uh, Mr. Gossiping? I'm gossiping about a friend details, of mine. Details, details. I'm gossiping you here about him. You didn't tell me that about our friend when you initially <laughs> told me. Is there any other information? Do I need to ask you that every time you tell me about things? Is there any additional information that you have? Okay, I'm going to tell you something. I told you the information I had at the time. Okay. All right. I did, not, did I go out of my way to tell you new information? No, I did not. You know why? Because outside of the show, I didn't care. <laughs> but I care about this young man. He's so sweet. Yes. No, he's like, he's, I, well, I didn't mean I didn't care. I just meant it wasn't. I got other things on my mind, man. That's not what's going to come up in the conversation because it's because those other. You're um, obviously not a woman. Well, No. No, I'm not. As soon not as a today. woman, as soon as a woman would have got that information, she would have. I gotta call somebody. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> I think for Oscar, in particular, for our friend in particular, it actually might be a good thing that it's a long distance relationship. It gives them time to ease into it rather than jump into it. You get time to actually. Have to have conversation beyond the obvious, beyond the superficial, right? Where you're just sitting around and you want to talk to them, but you don't have anything to talk about anymore. So you start talking about space and time and philosophy and all the various goofy things that are most meaningless, but yet give insights into how someone's mind works. So I just think in a sense, it's good because of where he was. At his personal growth, is at the point where he, it's clearly good for him and being finding a relationship. His time, he's a, he's a man who deserves 
to enter that stage of his life. Clearly he does. He deserves it. He wants it. And would almost argue he needs it. Except he doesn't. But you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's some purpose bigger than himself, other than himself. You know, men need that. Young men need that. So they can design the second, you know, that part, next part of their life. And, you know, you try to fill it with politics. 24, you can't fill it with politics. I'm 24. So I'm happy. Happy for it. Anyway. But the, the fact that it was interesting was a long-term relationship, and adding that into the a long, t- a long range, a long, a long, a long distance. distance relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Adding that into it, I think, was interesting. And so, if you would like to, uh, Som- by the way, sometimes I think about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to give us a the plug. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was going to do the plug. If you would like to. Follow us. You can go to latenightlove.us, and that's our webpage. You can follow us on Twitter at Jazzrack. That's me. You can send an email to Lovey over there at love at latenightlove.us, and you can always find us on Facebook, Mewing Minds. And I think that's about it for now. And podcasts. You can find our podcast on most of the popular podcast networks. If you can't find it on yours, let us know, and we'll get it put on. Okay, now what was that? I'm sorry. I think sometimes about what long distance relationships used to have to go through, you know, before technology, just writing letters. Well, and sometimes taking a month to get them. I mean, die. A month? Well, just think, it wasn't all that long ago, 1890, 1880, where they put a telegraph line across the, across the Atlantic Ocean. Wasn't that long ago where, you know, where you could actually have any kind of real-time communication? I mean, in order to talk to England before, it took months. You wrote a letter, you put it on a boat, you sent it across the sea, you hoped it got there. (laughs) You know, the guy read the letter, he wrote it back, he put it on a boat, he shipped it across the sea, he hoped it got there. (laughs) And, you know, six months later, you've had a conversation. But that's not a conversation. (laughs) Which is why they were so good at writing letters back then. Because they had to pack in so much information. So short. But we forget. It's really only been a little over 100 years since we've had this mass communication, electricity, and the ability to talk to each other. I mean, the telephone, where average people have telephones. You want to get this one, wrap your head around. There are places in the world that had a cell phone before they had electricity. I believe it. We've seen it. We saw saw that documentary one time. Yeah, we want a phone and electricity. electricity. And I'll guarantee you it was easier to put, to give them a cell phone than the electricity. But they had to get. But in order to get a cell phone, they had to put a tower up there, which means they had to get some kind of electricity. Which means after the tower was put up, they could run the electricity to the town. Yeah. But they'd have cell phones powered with freaking solar power before they had wired electricity. And we forget. 
because you know those of us were sitting here in you know, America, Europe, these, any of these civilized uh, the first, first world, world whatever you want to call that, it. Yeah. yeah. The, the places with electricity versus the places without. The places with plumbing, indoor plumbing, and the places without. That's essentially where the world is divided right now. Your country either has electricity, stable electricity, and indoor plumbing, sanitation, right? electricity, sanitation, clean water, or you don't. And that's the difference. Luckily, things like clean water, sanitation, they're getting to the point where we don't have to have the big major infrastructure projects to do that that we used to. Oh. We can build small solar farms that can that can power a town. And with the new Tesla batteries, it can charge the battery. Now, it's going to take time to get down there, but we can build little water filtration pumps now that can pump, that can filter the water as they pump it out their wells. Powered by solar and battery. <laughs> you can get stable water supplies to these people. Because there's, it's not like there's plenty of water in Africa. It's just it's not where the people are. And so all you need pumps and pipes. You know, dealing with sewer and, you know, and clean water is, is the biggest issue in the third world. We all think it's food and everything. People aren't dying because they don't have food anymore. We've essentially wiped out starvation hunger, levels of hunger. It happens in pockets. I'm not saying it doesn't. But in terms of the catastrophic hunger that we used to have, we don't see that anymore. Starvation. Yeah. Go to the UN. It's clear. We've, We've essentially ended that. On the grand scheme of things, we've ended that. So the next stage is getting sanitation, basic sanitation. And, you know, luckily, you know, in a sense, luckily, solar power and batteries have come along at a good time. Those countries don't have to invest in all this old infrastructure types of infrastructure that we did. And Europe did. Big, huge, massive water projects. Big, huge, massive dams and everything to get the power they need to run everything. They can essentially skip two, three stages of of technology. If they can solve their political problems. Well, that's a political discussion. So, But there's hope in the world. If you look at things like abject poverty has essentially been ended... In the, in the last 20 years, it, it's astounding. It's literally astounding what, what the kind of the work we've done in the last 20, 30 years on uh, ending hunger and starvation. And I mean, it's not that there's not poor people who sign, you know, a chunk of them go hungry at night. It's not what we're, but when you're talking about that kind of massive level starvation, you and I were old enough to, to remember. I remember. Yeah. I remember, I heard about it at the dining room table. If you don't, you know, I didn't want to eat my dinner. You know, starving children in China would be happy to have that. I heard about it. Yeah, starving children in China, starving children in Africa, 
was, there were starving children in the Soviet Union. We didn't hear about those, but there were starving children in the Soviet Union. And we don't hear that doesn't happen in that mass scale. It happens in pockets. And it's, and it happens because of political issues, not actually because we can't get food to them. We can't get food to them, not because we don't have food or the ability to get food to them or the desire to get food to them. It's there's political reasons we can't get food to them. And so that's a different thing. So and so the world is a better place filled with love. We don't do that without love. And we don't appreciate it. We see what's happening and we say, this is awful, and it is. But we forget how far we have come. Like a lot of people talk about, you know, environment. We haven't done anything to save the environment. It's not true. We've done a lot. Forty years ago, I'd walk to school. You could literally see the air. My city has grown humongously since then. Ten times bigger now than it was then. And the air on most days cannot be seen. It's a very rare day where you can see the smog in the air. So, anyway. My point is, we made a lot of progress. doesn't mean we don't have farther to go. doesn't mean we don't want to go farther. It just means we should take a time and stop and say, you know, we've actually done pretty good. All things considered, from where the human animal came from to where we are today, the path we've actually done pretty good. So, stop being so hard on ourselves. Pat yourselves on the back for the accomplishments and for, you know, how farther we've come and say, okay, tomorrow we ought to be better. You can, both can be true. We seem to forget that both can be true. <laughs> both these things are possible. It's true. All right. So where are we at? What do we have left? What do we got? Uh, the 13-year-old child of a 13-year-old child, well, my 13-year-old child, get used to living with four younger cousins. My husband and I left left her in the U.S. with my sister to work in Bora Bora. We'll be back in six-plus years. My sister says my daughter isn't adjusting to living with other kids. Well, yeah, because you're in freaking Bora Bora, and she's in some town USA. I'd be mad, too parents off living in a freaking tropical island and you're stuck stuck with your cousins you have to share everything locked in the house during a pandemic so it's not like you can even go outside stuck with these little nutheads yeah she's not happy will she adjust maybe it's hard to say there's no way to know Um, it depends how good of a parent your sister is because sadly, you've now made your parent your, her, your sister her parent. I don't understand. You know, maybe there's a reason you can't take them to Bora Bora with you. But for six years. Yeah. She's going to graduate high school before you're back. That's a large chunk of their childhood. That's going from that 12-year-old teenager to adulthood. That's... That, that's a major. That's the day. That's the most dangerous time in a child's life because that's when you have to let them be 
start having freedoms, it's when they're most dangerous. That's when they start having to make choices for themselves. And you want one that's rebelling? Deliberately making bad choices? Because that's what rebelling is. It's deliberately making bad choices. Trust me, I know. (laughs) I know all about that. (laughs) But will she adjust? Maybe. Depends on the family she's with. Depends on if... But... And if it were me, I'd find a way to get her to Bora Bora. I'd come home. Yeah. It's that important. Now, there are caveats to that. Maybe they have an insanely important job. Maybe they're saving the world somehow. Or part of a team that's, you know, doing investigative work for things that we don't want to discuss here. And it's maybe the sacrifice is worth it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be overly judgmental. I'm just saying if it were me, I can't imagine. Other than something like, no, look, I'm trying to track down a lost nuclear device someplace. And I can't have you here with me. And you just, you know, there's you can imagine some things. There's Because there are people that have to do that. Right? There are people who have to work as spies, and there are people who have to, you know, join the witness protection programs and all those various kinds of things. Who have to work undercover for drug enforcement. You know, whether we agree with those decisions or not, there are people who have to do that. And if you're working undercover for DEA in Bora Bora, do you want your teenage daughter there? That's an extreme case. I well, but uh, this is an extreme situation. Leaving your it's an, for me, it's an extreme situation. The only thing I can think of is that there's a extreme there, reason. There's an extreme reason. Okay, all right, all right. Now, all right. now the reason is probably wrong, but that you know my particular thing. But there's. I can't imagine that it's just some normal job that pays some relatively normal wage and in board board and you can't take them. Because, and you well, me and my sister, give it to my sister. Well, you both have to go to Bora Bora. There's got to be something out there. Yeah, both? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's information that we don't have that might make this make sense. <laughs> On the surface, this don't make any goddamn sense. No. Unless it's just, you know, you don't want to raise your child. And you'd rather go to Bora Bora and live your life in Bora Bora. And since your sister is willing to buy the excuse you gave her, I'd like to think that there's something extreme thing situation that's reason that's the reason that they're working for the DA. They both work for the DA or something, and, and they just don't want to take her for safety. And, and but they're dedicated, and you know how people like that can be. So I prefer that. I prefer to think of that 
They rather than it's these people who just they don't want to be parents anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 yeah or, or I can go to Bora Bora and be a, you know, a tourist guide on boats, which means I'm going to be a, you know, well, she's 13 in Bora Bora. You leave her alone for a few days. Tell her to lock the door. It's freaking Bora Bora. <laughs> what the hell? So I don't know. But, but again, there's probably something we don't know. And so I'd prefer to think that it's that rather than. Okay, is it reasonable to not let my 14-year-old daughter go to her friend in the afternoon and spend the night in my adoption? To... Well, the thing is, is her friend a male friend? I'm assuming if it was a male friend, she would have said a male friend. Right, right, right. Because, I mean, if she's that kind of picky. But because if it's a male friend, well, then no. At 14, no, you don't get to stay overnight at your, at your friend's house, even if you've been friends since you were four. I'm sorry you don't. Hormones, it's a bad thing. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you just don't. But you can't get any trouble. Two 14-year-old girls can't get into any trouble. They can play with each other, but they can't get into any trouble. What are they going to do? Do their hair do a mask? You know, pedicures? Well, at 14, you're having all kinds of hormones and explorations thoughts. So, but what's the worst that's going to happen? Two 14-year-old girls that can have fun with each other, but they're not going to get into they're any trouble. They're not going to get into any trouble. <laughs> Two 14-year-old boys can play around with each other, but they're not going to get into any trouble. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a reason. We keep the, the, the at that age, we don't let them spend the nights together. That's all. But is an afternoon and an evening oh, yeah. too long? Oh, no, but she was talking about spending overnight. Two, if a girl... No. What, you never sent... At 14 year old, your girl's never gone over to her girlfriend's house for, for a weekend? Never Appar- had her off? Apparently not. Good Lord. She's 14. She's ready. You, you dang well better have her go I would encourage you to let her go. Yes, I understand your helicopter parent. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to be sitting there, sitting on your hands. Call the other person's parents. Say, look, I'm really going to be nervous this whole time. Would you mind if I call, kind of quietly call you every now and again? They'll they'll likely be perfectly fine if you explain that you're just overly nervous. Uh, you know, it's fine. Most parents are perfectly understandable. But for the, her own mental health, she's got to start doing things on her own. At 14, she's got to start being able to make her own choices, make decisions. Some of them will be wrong. Some of them will not turn out well. And then she'll have to learn how to clean up her messes. And that's just part of growing up. Part of learning. Part of learning how to become an adult. One of the uh, most interesting times was my son, one of my sons. Is he was having trouble in school. He failed a couple of classes. Oh, I remember this. And, and so I, you know, I said, hey, what's going on? Because, you know, he's one of those who doesn't usually have those problems. And so I said, so what's going on? What happened? He says, well, you know, I screwed off. And I just didn't do what I needed to do. I says, okay, do you need some help? Was there any problems? No, no, no. It was just me. So you can take care of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to take care of it. Okay. And I left him alone. 
And then a couple years later, after everything was was done, he comes back and says, you know, I really want to thank you for letting me do that on my own. You did? Yeah. He came back and he thanked me for letting him do it on his own. Letting him fix his own problems. So it wasn't just... He, at some point, he understood that, you know, it wasn't the failures that were the problem, that was the issue. It's he learned more from being having to fix his own problems, having to go through and figure out, okay, here's where I screwed up. Here's what I did. Here's how I can fix it. And he did it all on his own. Now, I was there. I told him, if you need me, I'm right here. Just, just you know, you know me. I'll, we talk about everything in this house. And so, but no, he didn't need me. And I knew he didn't need me. I knew all he needed to what to do was to hold himself accountable. And I gave him that opportunity. You know, it, look, they're teenagers. They will skip accountability to themselves if they can. So all your job as a parent is not to hold them accountable to you. It's hold them accountable to themselves. Because we're going to leave you. <laughs> They can't have you hover and over them and be the ones holding them accountable the whole lot. You have to hold themselves accountable. And you don't want them to have to learn that at 35. 40 years old. If you can help them do that at 18, you're doing a huge favor for them. And, you know, life gives you opportunities to do that. You don't have to make it up. Just, you know, love, compassion, understanding, observation, and then taking advantage when it, you know, luck is preparation made it with opportunity. We had built a long relationship over time, you know, so when the opportunity came to, to interject myself and I interjected just enough for him to be a held, for, for him to realize that I have to hold himself accountable, he has to fix it because then he wants to fix it. And you know, yeah, there's a handful of times when you go, ha, ah, I did something right as a parent. You take them, you wear them, you hang them up like a platter in your head. You know, <laughs> like a trophy it's cabinet. A <laughs> it's a plaque on the trophy cabinet of your head. <laughs> I did one right. Oh, because a lot of times you don't know for 30 years whether you did stuff right. That's the tough thing. Wrapping your head around that as a parent is probably the hardest thing as a parent is trying to wrap yourself or head around that. All right, so we got five minutes left. We'll end this with this last short one. Have you ever accepted a job offer only to be bitterly re to regret taking the job later once you'd started? What happened? Well, yeah, I've done that many times. I just leave. So, yeah, I don't care. It doesn't, no one cares. I tried to make it work. No, you, if something's not going to work, you just leave. Because you're wasting everybody's time. Especially yours. It's not their time I care about. It's mine. I'm wasting my time. You're doing everybody... If you're going to be miserable, you're not going to be a good employee ever. And, and then you're going to be miserable. Why wouldn't you just go get a different job? <laughs> Why do you want to be someplace that makes you miserable? Now I get it. There's times when there's it's difficult to get into other jobs, and but 
you know, if you're young right now, it's not one of them. And no one cares. If you go up, well, how do you explain it? One, you don't tell them. You don't put it on your resume. No one knows you had it. You don't put a job at you spent three, four days on. It's not really a job. You know, if you got it through a temp agency, then you, you work for the temp agency and you did these kind of jobs if they ask. But at these places. But everybody knows those are short-term jobs. No one cares if you only worked there three days. They just assume the contract was only for a couple of days. Right, 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 right. So these things, leaving a job is not the problem as long as you have an explanation for it. And even if that explanation is it was, it was a terrible work environment, this is how you say that is what they're looking for. How do you tell them that it was a new left because it was a terrible working environment? How do you say that? <laughs> well, if you're me, you say it's, it was a terrible working environment. I didn't want to work there. But <laughs> if you're a normal human being, you sit there and say, you know, it wasn't a cultural fit. That's a good way. And they'll ask you what you meant, and then you can kind of worm your way through it. Because you don't want to badmouth it. If you want to be able to know that you can be able to go through a conversation about a bad experience without bad mouthing. If you want to have success in an interview. So, that's, that's what they're looking for at, for most places. I mean, depending upon that specifics. But if you're an average person, everybody, there's lots of people who can do what you the job, who can do the skills, right? You've got to assume there's a hundred people who are competent enough to do the job. So what makes you different? That's what you have to think of when you go into an interview. What makes you different? Especially if you're going like a, you know, if you're trying to work at some retail store or, or Target or the grocery store or just a regular warehouse job. There's a hundred people who can do the job just as competent as you. You're not special. So what makes you different? Now they won't ask you that question, but that's what they want to know. <laughs> they can't ask you that question, but that's what they want to know. And in a sense, you want to go back to your relationships and find relationships. It's what makes you different. Why should I love you rather than that other person who I was kind of interested in? What makes you different? What makes you special? What makes me want to love you? What makes me put those damn rose-colored glasses on every day? Why do I put those on for you and I don't put them on for other people? Don't contemplate that question too long. Just don't, because you'll go down a rabbit hole that never answered. I'm just saying. <laughs> because that's a bad rabbit hole to go on. Think of the meaning of time before you go do that. But, you know, superficially ask the question. You know, why do we do these? Why do we, as these human species, have treat love the way we do? And it's not unique to our time or place. It goes back to as long as 
as we have human written records. And if it goes back to as long as we have human written records, it goes back longer than that. You know, these feelings and emotions didn't creep up 5,000 years ago when we started to to scratch things on the walls. 10,000 years ago, we were to scratch pictures on walls. They existed before that. Those are the representations of something much more fundamental. You know, the evolutionaries, and I'm an evolutionary, I believe in evolution. You know, natural selections, they, you think you choose. But how does love play into that? How does this goofy thing we call love play into kind of natural selection and evolution? Don't know. It's hard to imagine the caveman, you know, building a relationship based upon love. But you know what? I bet you they did. I bet you it's that fundamental. Because it goes too deep, crosses too many cultures, crosses too much time. And speaking of time, that is all the time we have. You can catch us at latenightlove.us. You can send us a message at anchor.fm slash latenightlove. Click the message button and send us a voice message. You can send Lovey an email at love at latenightlove.us. You can find me on Twitter at jazzrack. Or you can find us on all your various social media pages. And from me and Lovey and all of us over here, good night. And please remember, love everybody. Good night.